Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Today we want to look at the how-to of sharing our faith, and that's in John chapter 4. Our Lord's going to get very practical and show us how to reach out. John chapter 4, he's walking through Samaria, and maybe you know that Jews hated Samaritans and vice versa, except one Jew, Jesus, he didn't hate Samaritans, he loved them. And he came to a historical marker, and that's Jacob's well, Jacob, whose, God, whose name God changed to Israel, Jacob, the great patriarch of the Jews. And so Jesus comes to that well. This well never ran dry. People came to it every day to draw water. Now, it's interesting. Jesus Christ got there at noon. This was very deliberate. He didn't get there in the morning. He got there at noon. And when he got there, he sent his disciples away and said, you guys go get us some food. So he wanted to be alone at that well because he knew who was coming. This lady was coming, and she was very socially unacceptable. I tell you, all the good women in the town, all the good folk in the town came to draw water at about 6 in the morning at daybreak. But this lady came at the sixth hour, the Bible says. She came at noon because she was socially unacceptable because she'd been married and divorced five times, and she was living with the guy. And the Lord knew that. So he says, I'm going to get there at noon. Now, what I'm trying to get across is this was very deliberate. This was very intentional. And as you reach out to people, step number one is it's got to be intentional. You've got to target specific people, and you've got to tell yourself these people are lost. And that means you have to judge them. And remember, one of Satan's big lies is, oh, you can't judge. Of course, you have to judge. And I've said this so many times, but I need to reiterate it. Don't look at their good life. I go to funerals, I stand by caskets with people, and they say, oh, pastor, he or she was such a good man. I know they're in heaven. Folks, that's not evidence of a good life. A good life is not evidence of salvation because at some time or another, everybody leads a good life. You know that. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Everybody is nice at one time or another. Nice people who help you out, give you the shirt off their back, as we say is no evidence whatsoever of salvation. You need to ask the right questions. Do they desire God? Do they desire his word? Do they talk about Do they talk about what they discovered in the word? Do they go to a Bible study where, where they're with other believers to get because they're hungry for God? Do they desire to worship him and be with God's people? And you don't have to force them to go, man, they want to go. It's a big part of their life. Do they talk about answered prayer like we talked about answered prayer in all these testimonies? These are the marks of eternal life, and if they're not there, folks, you've got to understand, they're probably not saved. Now, no probably about it, they're not saved. Here's another thing. People will tell me, you know, they'll tell me, oh, he or she believes in God. I hear this all the time. It's a broken record. Oh, I know, he or she believes in God. That, what's, the, what's the big deal about believing in God? It's no big deal. That's very safe to believe in God. You, you, can, go all, you can go to work all day and talk about God. Nobody's going to get on your case. Yeah, you may bore him, but nobody's going to get on your case because you're talking about God. But when you talk about Jesus, then there's an offense. Then people are going to get upset with you. So if people in your life talk about God and never about Christ, they're lost. Don't kid yourself. God's safe. Christ is not safe. 
But once you come to that conclusion, now you can do something about it. And here's what you do. You pray. That's number one. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. saw this interview on Christian TV last week with this guy called Stephen Hill who wrote a Christian book. And Stephen Hill was a drug addict. And he came home one day. He was looking awful, beaten, disheveled, horrible. He'd been shooting drugs. And so his mom, his mom looked one look at his, his blood purple arm. And she just turned her back and went upstairs. About an hour later, he went upstairs and her door was open a crack. And he saw her on her knees. Her face was buried in her mattress and she was sobbing and muffled screams, muffled screams. God save my son. God save my son. God save my son. It was a long half hour story, but to make this story bottom line and the circumstances are so neat. About three weeks later, this man received Jesus Christ and his life was changed. You never, here's, here's the deal, folks. You never, ever, ever stop praying for lost people. Never. You, know, you, you, you pray forever for your lost kids until God saves them. You, you, you pray for anybody who's lost until God saves them. It's got to start there. Anyway, reaching out is intentional. That's step one. Number two, you've got to build into people's lives. You don't beat them over the head with it. Once you determine they're not saved, you're going to pray for them. And you want to build into their lives. You've got to find common ground. In verse 7, Christ was at the well with the Samaritan woman. Now in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me to drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food and see what he's doing. They had something in common now. He's thirsty, she's thirsty. Will you give me some water? And so there's a commonality there. They both have water in common, and our Lord was going to build on that, see? Well, I do that, man. I reach out to a number of lost people. I've targeted a number of people I want to build into their lives, and ultimately I want to get to the point where I talk about my faith and my Savior, see? And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go out with these people. I'll meet them at work. I'll meet them at work. I'll, I'll, I'll go wherever they go. You know, I'm not always going to talk about the Lord. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll laugh and, and we'll tell stories and get to know each other, and what you're doing is you're building into their lives and you're earning the right. You are earning the right to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ because that's a very personal thing to most people. And you're saying, I'm your friend. Really what you're saying is, I'm your friend and I care about you. And then you build up to that point where you tell them the most important thing going on in your life. And I do that and the most important thing going on in my life is my faith in my Christ. And I'll get to that point, but I'm not going to beat them over the head with it and tell them right away. You build into their lives. And if they don't seem interested, what you do is you don't cool the relationship and say, no hope there, man. You're a loser, man. Think I'll go get somebody else. You keep building. You show them they're more than a statistic. You never, ever leave this impression that, hey, I led 23 people to Christ. You're number 24, and you ain't taking the bait, so I'm out of here, buddy. I'll go get somebody who wants to listen. That's not it. You just stick with those people. They're not a statistic. They are people. And you keep praying for these people and you keep building into their lives. That's step two. You, you find a common ground. Step three, you make what you have to offer attractive. In John 4, verse 10, here's what Jesus, well, Jesus answered here and said, listen how attractive he made what he had to offer. Man, he's holding out something really good. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Woo! Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with. I mean, go get yourself a bucket. Get me some of this living water. You've got to make what you have to offer attractive. I said in a sermon a few weeks ago that compassion is attractive. When these people are hurting, they're vulnerable. And if you take time to listen to these people and go out of your way to help these people and show real concern for these people and give up what you want to do to help these people, man, they're going to notice that that is a draw. And that is so unlike other people. 
Last week we talked about being positive in a very negative world. That is such a draw. They're down on life, man, and you're hopeful. You pick them up. You got to look for those moments, and that's when you share your testimony. So many tremendous testimonies. You've got one. I have one. You have. Do you know how grateful I am I had cancer? I am really grateful I am I had cancer because I can relate to people who had cancer. I can relate to people who, you know, they get this thought, man, what if I die? I went through all that stuff. And I never took chemo. I never had radiation. And I had a very aggressive cancer. And I can say with all sincerity, man, God got me through that whole deal. And that's my testimony. And I can tell that to believer and unbeliever alike. And did you ever thank God for what you're going through? That's what I'm saying. Because you're going through something right now and God's allowing you to go through it. And you know what he's doing? He's giving you a testimony because someday he's going to bring you into the life of a non-believer. And God's going to say, he's going to want you to say, look, look, look what God did in my life. And that's really going to pump people up, you know, because you can say God can do the same thing in your life. And you've got to make him attractive. You've got a testimony. Form your testimony. Here's step four in reaching out with your faith. And you've got to be honest with these people. In step four, Jesus addresses a personal issue in this lady's life. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. And maybe she's a little bit um, uneasy here because she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, I know that. <laughs> he said, you're right, baby. He said, when you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And what you just said is very true. I think that probably blew her away. But what Jesus Christ is saying, when you come He's saying, lady from Samaria, if you want what I have to offer this living water, there's got to be some life changes. That's what he's saying. Before salvation, what does there have to be? Acknowledgement of sin. There's got to be repentance. And when you repent, remember what repentance is. It's a two-stage thing. Number one, you confess your sins. But number two, you do a 180 and you walk the other way from sins. And that's the tough part. Easy to confess. The 180 is the hard part, see? And when you do that 180 and walk the other way, you struggle with your sin. I mean, he's telling this lady, he's saying, man, get, get, get rid of these guys. One guy after another in your life. You can't live that lifestyle. He's saying, sacrifice what you want, what you like, for what you believe in. And, and when you sacrifice, do it with great joy. And, and, and believing people will do that. We will give up bad lifestyles because we love the Lord and we're doing it with love and joy. It's his will. And you got to be real with people. You say, I'm a believer, but it's not without problems. You know, when you come to faith, it's not going to be without problems. My kids give me grief. You know, my husband's an insensitive jerk half the time. Now, you need to say that once in a while. Or my wife treats me, she don't treat me like her husband. She treats me like my kid, not her husband. And I got these things going on in my life. I got these issues. If you're a kid, maybe you say to other kids that you're trying to talk to about Jesus, you say, you know what? Other kids think I'm a little strange because I don't enjoy the same things they do. That happens when you receive the Lord. You say, I struggle with my mouth. I struggle with my anger. I struggle with my lying. I struggle to be a submissive wife and all that stuff. And I grow like this, three steps forward and two steps backward. But what have you gained? That is, that, folks, there it is. That is the Christian life. That's how I grow. Three steps, and then I revert. But what have I gained? I've gained a step. And that's what you convey, see? That's how we grow. And you're honest. The Christian life isn't always a cakewalk. It's a struggle. But it's the most joyful struggle you're ever going to have. Well, here's the last step in sharing your faith, the fifth one. 
See, Jesus um, lets her know about these five husbands and the guy she's living with. And now, if you remember the story, she starts to beat around this bush. She says, well, you Jews, you worship over there in Jerusalem. And we Samaritans, we worship here in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And you guys think you're so much better than us. Where, Where is true worship, she said. She said, well, I guess the Messiah, when he comes, he will know. I can't imagine how she received this. I just, I wish I were there. Yeah, I read these things and I said, man, I wish I were there. Verse 26, she said, when the Messiah comes, he'll know. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Man, how did she receive that? Wow. What a statement. I who speak to you am he. All I'm saying is this. There were four steps leading up to this and it must come to this. It must come to this. It has to come to this. I mean, I mean, the four steps are, you know what they are. You're intentional. You reach out to certain people that you have deemed in your heart are not going to heaven if they would die tonight. Second step is you try and you form a relationship with these people and you build into their lives. You form a friendship and you earn the right to talk to these people. Third, you make Jesus attractive. You formulate a testimony. Fourth, you're honest. You've got to change some things in your life. It's not going to be a cakewalk, but it all comes down to number five. It comes down to this. You've got to present Christ as Savior from sin and Lord as the Savior who paid for their sins, and as the Lord who will indwell them and make them like himself. You cannot have Jesus Christ only as Savior. You've got to have him as Savior and Lord. But you must present Christ. And people will say, and I've heard this and so have you, I'm not good at speaking, but I live my faith. And I want to encourage you. I want to applaud you. That's great because it's got to begin somewhere. And when people see something different in you, there's got to be an eye catcher. That's where it's got to begin. But at the same time, you've got to know this. No one's ever going to come to Christ because you live your faith. Nobody. No one's ever going to cross the line from death to life because you live your faith at work, in your group, wherever it is. No one's ever going to come to faith just because you live your faith. Somewhere, the gospel must be presented. Someone's got to tell them about Christ. Someone's got to present the word of God and the truth of the gospel. You're a sinner. You need him. But man, he'll change your life like it's never, la, 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 like you would never believe. You got to say that. You got you to, listen, people have to confront and deal with the issue of Jesus Christ. Either they spend eternity apart from him because they're resting on their own goodness or they spend eternity with him because they're resting on the righteousness of Christ. I'm just thinking, how do I say this? How do I say this to people? That Christ is all in all. That once you receive Jesus Christ, I mean, he is your life. I mean, I think of Philippians 1 where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Man, that's, that, that's the direction we're moving. That, that, that's where it's got to go. It's got to go that direction. He has to be your all in all. He's got to be in your heart, on your mind. I just want to read you from God's word what, what God did with his son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to look at this because I got it right here. I just want to read to you how God exalted his son, Ephesians 1, verse 20 which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. So the Father raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, above, far above all power and dominion, far above every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed everything created under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, that's you and me, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's how the Father exalted the Son. He made him head over all creation to fill, to fill, to fill his church. Who's his church? You and me. 
So who does God want or what does God want us to be full of? Him. God wants us to be full of Christ. He is the center of Scripture. The whole Old Testament points to Him. The New Testament tells about Him. The New Testament reflects on His life. The New Testament points you to that certain hope of eternal life when you'll be with Him forever. All I'm saying is He reigns, He rules, He fills. He is life. He's what it's all about. Jesus Christ must fill us. Our life is about Christ. Man, I, I, I don't know if I'm getting this across to you. Because most people, our life isn't about Christ, Christian or not. It's got to be about Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, It is because of Him, because of the Father, that you are in Christ. Christ who has become for us four things. Get this, wisdom, wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. This is what Jesus is to us. He has become wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit, in Romans 8, Christ in you. The Spirit of God is Christ in you. What I'm saying is this is a profound thought. Jesus Christ lives in you and me by the Holy Spirit. As believers, He lives in us, and He is our wisdom, and He helps us think the way God wants us to think. He leads us to make wise decisions that please God. He leads us to, um, to know when to talk and when not to talk. He leads us to see the world and everything going on in the world from a biblical perspective, and that's called a worldview. He gives you a biblical Christian worldview. He does that. When you begin to look at life from the point of view of God, that's Christ in you. He is your wisdom. It's Him who lives in you and makes you think God thoughts. It's Him who tells you not to react in anger, not to react like, like a kid, and pot when you don't get your way, but face the issue and deal with it. I mean, it's all Him. He is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 goes on to say He's our righteousness. The book of Isaiah tells us that we came to faith and that we came to faith in Jesus Christ. The Father in heaven gave us a covering. He gave us a robe of righteousness. Sure, you're going to sin. I'm going to sin all the time. But you know what? I have a covering. I have a robe of righteousness. He is my righteousness. You know, you know what the Word of God tells us? He is covering me, all my sin. And the Father in heaven looks down upon me, and the Father in heaven knows I sin. I need to confess those sins because sins break fellowship with God. But what God the Father sees is the holiness and the perfection and the righteousness of Christ. And that's my joy because I don't ever have to worry about going to hell. Never. He is my righteousness. Thirdly, he's my sanctification. That means I'm in the process. I'm always in process. So are you. I'm in the process of being made holy. Ever feel guilt, shame, sorrow, and feel any of that stuff? And you say, oh, dear God, what did I do? And you feel the need to confess, and you want to change. You hate the sin in you. And so you say, Father, help me. Give me your Holy Spirit. Help me to change. Why are you doing that? That's Christ in you. Why are you changing step by step? Three steps forward, two steps backward, but you're changing. Why? That's Christ in you doing all that. He's your wisdom. He's your righteousness. He's your sanctification. Fourthly, he's your redemption. Redemption means to buy back, to buy, to purchase. He purchased me literally from certain eternal hell and from a life without him. And can anybody here conceive of a life without Jesus? I'd rather die. 
See, he's my all in all, and I hope this is coming through. That's the Christ you hold out to people. You got to be consumed with this Jesus. He's everything. He's everything. Uh, you know, you know, it bothers me. It doesn't. It, this doesn't irritate me. It saddens me. I talk to a lot of people. They talk about all the pills they take, all the food supplements. I take coenzyme, and I take this, and I take that, and all this, and all that. Oh man, I'm riding my treadmill every day. They say I'm walking three hours a day, and I got my weight down to 175, and I, you know, I got my waist down to 32, 34. We talk about that. I don't ever hear Christian people talk among themselves about Christ. And he should consume you. I don't ever hear us talking about Christ. And that's sad. This is how he transforms you. And sometimes it's very subtle, very gradual. But this is, the, this is the Jesus you're asking an unbeliever to accept. This is the Christ you're asking us to accept. I want to tell you, he will challenge you. He will always take you beyond yourself. He did that with the Samaritan woman. I was reading John or Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. This, this, this is a good story. It's a good story because you got this, this scribe who comes to Jesus, Matthew 8, verse 20. And, and he says, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. So this guy, this scribe, this, he's like a Pharisee. He's all pumped up. He's having a change of heart and says, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. That guy left. And then all of a sudden, another disciple, this guy's a disciple, said to him, Lord, I want to follow you too, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Do you see what's going on here? Do you get the dynamics here? He said, Lord, I want to follow you too like that scribe. But first, my dad's been aging. My dad's kind of sick. As soon as he dies, Lord, then I'll follow you. Now look what Jesus said. He said, you're the only guy in your family with any spiritual interest. The rest are spiritually dead. You got this little spark in you. You got this little fire going on in you, but you hang out with that family long enough, your fire's gonna die. I mean, you hang out with those folks long enough, they'll quench it. You'll be just like them. And what you need to do is fan that flame. You need to feed that flame. You need to follow me and let your spiritually dead brothers and sisters bury your spiritually dead father. And you break with that group. You break with that group. And you, you got something going on inside you, man. You break with those people, those spiritually dead people. And you follow me. Something's happening inside you, man. Go after it. See, what did he do? He made this guy think about priorities and what's important in life. And what are you going to devote yourself to? That's what Jesus does. He takes you up that level. Folks, that's why we need to be consumed with Jesus. He challenges us. He calls us to live on a higher plane. He told the Samaritan woman, quit filling your tank with all those men. Fill your tank with me. I can make you better. Leave that way of life. He said to this guy in Matthew chapter 8, leave the spiritually dead and follow me and let the dead bury their dead. I can't apply this to your life. You need to do that, folks. But the Spirit of Christ in you will make you think, I need to break with this. That is Jesus Christ in you. I mean, this isn't what God wants me to be doing. These aren't the people God wants me to be with. God will change you. And when you answer that challenge and break those dependencies, it'll be tough, but the time will come when you say it is the best move I ever made in my life. So you need to ask yourself, what's God calling me out of? I mean, this is Jesus you're holding out to people. I mean, look at the level he takes you to. 
John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies and dies and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know what he's calling you to do? Die to self. Christ is calling you to death. He's calling you to die, to die to self. And, and the Jesus in you will more and more and more take you out of yourself, beyond yourself, until your first thoughts are not me, but what's your need? The Lord will do that in you until your first thoughts, listen, until your first thoughts become, this is an automatic first response in any situation in life. Well, your first thoughts are you and not me. And I want to tell you something, when you get to that point, I strive for this, I'm not there yet, man, but I'm, I'm moving that direction. When your first thoughts your first automatic reaction, knee-jerk reaction, is you, not me. You have reached a level of spiritual maturity that is so, that's up there. And you have a treasure. Christ has done a work in you. He's doing a, oh man, don't you want that? Anybody here want that? Where you first reacted to them, not me. Man, he takes you beyond yourself. That's why you hold him out to lost people. He is the greatest gift. I pray that this whole series on the greatest gift has blessed you, ignited you to pray, to reach out to lost people. I pray that today you have seen exactly what you have, the treasure you have in Jesus Christ. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.